Welcome back, Hemming Brainiacs, to the Hemming Brainiac podcast. It's the podcast... You know what? I think someone said that it was too quiet the other day, so I'm going to turn my microphone up. Is that better? Is that louder? Um, we're talking about chapter 100. Will Athoni come to Philip's rescue? Willy, willy, willy. Um, whoops. Acoustic Eel said this, wow, this was pretty grim. It really drives home a point I heard on Twitter somewhere... No one is, no one is one day, wait, hang on. No one is one good day away from being a millionaire, but we are all one bad day away from being poor. Eek, that's a scary thought. Granted, this happened to Philip because of risky stock market investments rather than something beyond his control. But the result is the same. When we, we being people who have a place to live and aren't starving but aren't wealthy either, see poor people in public or homeless people on the street here in america we have a lot of them we think we are somehow different from them as we walk by it's an illusion that we maintain because we don't want to face the possibility that we could one day be that person we are all one bad turn away from sitting next to them on the street or standing in line behind them at the food pantry we have more in common with the poor than with millionaires even though we like to think the opposite My estate just issued another round of coronavirus closures for four weeks because it's getting worse here again. I wonder how many more people will lose a job, be evicted from their housing, and go through what Philip has experienced in this chapter. Sorry for being such a downer today, but this chapter really got to me. Edit. Philip doesn't have control over the stock market, but he does have control over whether he mucks around with it or not, was what I meant to say. Yeah, I gotcha. I know what you meant. Um, So your state, I don't know where you're from, Acoustic Hills, I know it's in America... You're doing four weeks of closures. I am in Melbourne, as you know, and we did a lockdown, a really, a, a lockdown. I heard someone saying, I can't remember who said this, but I remember them talking about it to an American and saying that America wouldn't go like, oh, you know what it was? It was on the Hamish and Andy podcast who were Australians. They're from Melbourne as well. And they were saying to their American listeners like, America would hate the lockdown that Melbourne is currently doing because you're very much like freedom, freedom of action. You want to be able to do, you know, if, if the government tried to tell you all to stay home, then a lot of Americans would kick off and probably start talking about guns or something. Here in Melbourne, we had a very severe lockdown and it went for a couple of months and we weren't even allowed to leave our house after 8pm. We weren't allowed to see anyone, even, you know, I wasn't even allowed to see my own mother. Um, other than people that you live with, uh, the only person you're allowed to see is your um, your intimate partner, they called it, so your boyfriend or girlfriend. If you lived in a different house from them, you're allowed to go to their house. Other than that, you know, if your grandma is in a home and she's sick and dying, you weren't allowed to go and see them. You weren't allowed to see your own, uh, I don't know, grandson, you know, anything. Super severe lockdowns. All the businesses were closed except for very essential ones like grocery stores, petrol stations, that kind of thing. It was really, um, it was intense. And we actually went through lockdown a couple of times. Masks were mandatory. You were only allowed to leave the house once per day. Um, You were only allowed to leave up to within five kilometers of your house. And there was very specific reasons you were allowed to leave. Um, one of them was to exercise, which you had to do wearing a mask and in public, like in a park or in a, you know, you can't go to a gym, they were all closed. 
Anyway, I'm I'm ranting here and raving. It doesn't matter. The point is we had some of the most severe lockdowns in the world, but we have zero cases at the moment in Melbourne. Zero new cases, zero active cases. Um, the reason we went into lockdown is because we were on par with... Um, Oh, where was it? some other places? In August, we had seven thousand four hundred active cases in Victoria in in our state. Seven thousand four hundred cases was a lot. We were equal with some other places. We did lockdowns and we got that down to zero since from August till about October. It took to get it down to zero 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 all zeros. So we did really well. Other places around the world who had comparable numbers in August we were looking at the figures so I can't remember where one of them was in Europe somewhere and it was a comparable city similar population and they had about just sort of you know 7,000 cases in August they now have um, like 50,000 cases or something like that or 50 some crazy number anyway all the other places that had comparable numbers skyrocketed we locked it up we got it down to zero and Yes, for a few months, all the businesses had to close, all the rest. But now we're starting to be able to just sort of go back to business as usual because we completely stamped it out. So that's my message to you, who um, I know you're worried about jobs and housing and all the rest in your state. It is really scary. Hopefully your government will put in some laws around that. Like, for example, during our lockdowns and actually continuing even post them, you aren't allowed to be evicted from a house if you're a renter. Um, under no circumstances so um, you know you still have to pay your rent but um, there is no legal way to be evicted at the moment and they're not allowed to sort of end a lease early or even if your if your lease agreement ends they're not allowed to kick you out they have to extend it um, so there's a lot of rules in in place to sort of make us feel secure at this time um, but yeah I don't know my my point is if you can stamp it out the, as well as Melbourne did, in the long run, it'll cost your state less in terms of lost jobs and stuff. Because, you know, closing the whole place down for two months is a lot better financially than having this kind of, the state being racked with this illness ongoing for month after month after month. Um, so, I, yeah, I'm really proud of how Melbourne did, actually. We were getting a lot of shit in Melbourne um, from the rest of Australia because we had so many cases in our state. We had more than any other state by a lot. Uh, we had a real big outbreak here in Melbourne, and so we kind of got we kind of got a lot of shit from the other states, from Sydney, from New South Wales, and Queensland, and all all around Australia. But um, now that we've come out the other end of it, we've got the least cases, I think. And I don't know. I just feel really proud that we all did such a hard thing and it worked. So. Yeah, that's my message. You can do it, all right? Entrepa said this, I hope so. While Philip has been very stupid, he has also been very, been very kind. He just needs a break. So sad that he has had to give up his medical studies. I can't help but wonder if the author experienced this level of destitution. You know, he is, in his own way, sometimes quite kind. He's also very stupid. And he can be... I don't know, like, he can be unkind. He can definitely be unkind. But, you know, I think you're right, he needs a break. I think there is potential for Philip to be a decent bloke if he just 
you know, you kind of feel like he's the kind of character that just needs a bit of a win now and then, just needs something to go his way. And with a, with a few good turns, he could be quite a stand-up guy, I think. Maybe. Who knows, really. Swim said the moment she said, um, in regards to whether or not the author ever experienced this level of destitution, no, he did not. But he was able to write about Philip's experience so authoritatively because of this. He enrolled as a medical student at St. Thomas's Hospital mainly to escape from his uncle and also to live in London. From his teens, his sole ambition was to be a writer. Medicine did not interest him. Despite his lack of vocation, his five years at medical school proved to be the key experience in his artistic development. He observed and learned about people. He saw poverty, squalor and death. His experience as an obstetric clerk in the slums of London inspired his first novel, Lisa of Lambeth. He qualified but never practised. In old age, he wrote, I learned pretty well everything I know about human nature in the five years I spent at St. Thomas's Hospital. The example of the author suggesting... The example of the author suggests that medical education may have value other than training to be doctors. Laura Weistich said, This chapter was difficult to read. It reminded me of Down and Out in Paris and London. I've always wanted to read that. I should read that. All right, let's read chapter 101. When Philip rang ahead, he... Wait. When Philip rang, a head was put out the window, and in a minute he heard a noisy clatter on the stairs as the children ran down to let him in. It was a pale, anxious, thin face that he bent down for them to kiss. He was so moved by their exuberant affection that to give himself time to recover, he made excuses to linger on the stairs. He was in a hysterical state, and almost anything was enough to make him cry. They asked him why he had not come on the previous Sunday, and he told them he had been ill. They wanted to know what was the matter with him, and Philip, to amuse them, suggested a mysterious ailment, the name of which, double-barrelled and barbarous with its mixture of Greek and Latin, medical nomenclature bristled with such, made them shriek with delight. They dragged Philip into the parlour and made him repeat it for their father's edification. Athelney got up and shook hands with him. He stared at Philip, but with his round, bulging eyes, he was always seemed to stare. Philip did not know why on this occasion it made him self-conscious. We missed you last Sunday, he said. Philip could never tell lies without embarrassment, and he was scarlet when he finished his explanation for not coming. When Mrs. Athelney entered and shook hands with him, I hope you're better, Mr. Carey, she said. He did not know why she had imagined that anything had been the matter with him, for the kitchen door was closed when he came up with the children and they had not left him. Dinner won't be ready for another ten minutes, she said in her slow drawl. Won't you have an egg beaten up in a glass of milk while you're waiting? There was a look of concern on her face which made Philip uncomfortable. He forced a laugh and answered that he was not at all hungry. Sally came in to lay the table and Philip began to chafe her. It was the family joke that she would be as fat as an aunt of Mrs. Athelney, called Aunt Elizabeth, whom the children had never seen but regarded as the type of obscene corpulence. I say, what has happened since I last saw you, Sally? Philip began. Nothing that I know of. I believe you've been putting on weight. I'm sure you haven't, she retorted. You are a perfect skeleton. Philip reddened. That's a two-coke, Sally, cried her father. You will be fined one golden hair of your head. Jane, fetch the shears. Well, he is thin, father, remonstrated Sally. He is just skin and bone. That's not the question, child. He is at perfect liberty to be thin, but your obesity is contrary to decorum. As he spoke, he put his arm 
proudly around her waist and looked at her with admiring eyes. Let me get on with the table, father. If I am comfortable, there are some who don't seem to mind it. The hussy, cried Thelony, with a dramatic wave of the hand. She taunts me with the notorious fact that Joseph, a son of Levi, who sells jewels in Holborn, has made her an offer of marriage. Have you accepted him, Sally? asked Philip. Don't you know, father, better than that by this time? There's not a word of truth in it. Well, if he hasn't made you an offer of marriage, cried Athelney, by St. George and Mary England, I will seize him by the nose and demand of him immediately that what are his, his intentions. Sit down, father, dinner's ready. Now then, you children, get along with you and wash your hands, all of you, and don't shrink shirk it, because I mean to look at them before you have a scrap of dinner, so there. Philip thought he was ravenous till he began to eat, but then discovered that his stomach turned against food and he could ha eat hardly at all. His brain was weary, and he did not notice that Athelney, contrary to his habit, spoke very little. Philip was relieved to be sitting in a comfortable house, but every now and then he could not prevent himself from glancing out the window. The day was tempestuous. The fine weather had broken, and it was cold, and there was a bitter wind. Now and again gusts of rain drove against the window. Philip wondered what he should do that night. The Athelneys went to bed early, and he could not stay where he was after ten o'clock. His heart sank at the thought of going out into the bleak darkness. It seemed more terrible now that he was with his friends than when he was outside and alone. He kept on saying to himself that there were plenty more who would be spending the night out of doors. He strove to distract his mind by talking, but in the middle of his words a spatter of rain against the window would make him start. It's like March weather, said Athelney. Not the sort of day one would like to be crossing the channel. Presently they finished, and Sally came in and cleared away. Would you like a twopenny stinker? said Athelney, handing him a cigar. Philip took it and inhaled the smoke with delight. It soothed him extraordinarily. When Sally had finished, Athelney told her to shut the door after her. Now we shan't be disturbed, he said, turning to Philip. I've arranged with Betty not to let the children come in till I call them. Philip gave him a startled look, but before he could take in the meaning of his words, Athelney, fixing his glasses on his nose with the gesture habitual to him, went on. I wrote to you last Sunday to ask if anything was the matter with you, and as you didn't answer, I went to your rooms on Wednesday. Philip turned his head away and did not answer. His heart began to beat violently. Athelney did not speak, and presently the silence seemed intolerable to Philip. He could not think of a single word to say. Your landlady told me that you hadn't been in since Saturday night, and she said you owed her for the last month. Where have you been sleeping all this week? It made Philip sick to answer. He stared out the window. Nowhere. I tried to find you. Why? asked Philip. Betty and I have been just as broke in our day, only we had babies to look after. Why didn't you come here? I couldn't. Philip was afraid he was going to cry. He felt very weak. He shut his eyes and frowned, trying to control himself. He felt a sudden flash of anger with Athelney because he would not leave him alone. But he was broken, and presently his eyes still closed, slowly, in order to keep his voice steady. He told him the story of his adventures during the last few weeks. As he spoke, it seemed to him that he had behaved inanely, and it made it still harder to tell. He felt that Athelney would think him an utter fool. Now, you're coming to live with us till you find something to do, said Athelney. When he had finished, Philip flushed. He knew not why. Oh, it's awfully kind of you, but I don't think I'll do that. Why not? Philip did not answer. He had refused instinctively from fear that he would be a bother, and he had a natural bashfulness of accepting favours. He knew, besides, that the Athelneys lived from hand to mouth. 
and with their large family had neither space nor money to entertain a stranger. Of course you must come here, said Athelney. Thorpe will tuck in with one of his brothers and you can sleep in his bed. You don't suppose your food's going to make any difference to us? Philip was afraid to speak and Athelney, going to the door, called his wife. Betty, he said when she came in, Mr Carey's coming to live with us. Oh, that is nice, she said. I'll go and get the bed ready. She spoke in such a hearty, friendly tone, taking everything for granted that Philip was deeply touched. He never expected people to be kind to him, and when they were, it surprised and moved him. Now, he could not prevent two large tears from rolling down his cheeks. The Athelnys discussed the arrangement, and pretended not to notice to what a state his weakness had brought him. When Mrs. Athelney left them, Philip leaned back in his chair, and looking out the window, laughed a little. It's not a very nice night to be out, is it? All right, there we go. There's that chapter for you. Have your say about that chapter over at the subreddit. I'm just having a little look here how many more chapters there are to go. There are XXII22, 20, 21 more chapters. Getting there. All right, have your say about that one over at the subreddit. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you tomorrow.